You're listening to Second on the Mount, a podcast of sermons from Second Presbyterian Church in Roanoke, Virginia. We are glad you found us. My name is Elizabeth Link, and I'm the Associate Pastor for Christian Education. Each week, we climb into the pulpit with a bit of fear and trembling. We hope and pray that what we have to say is true to God's will for the church and may encourage and challenge you on your journey of discipleship. Thanks for listening. Please rate and review if you enjoy. May the Spirit have some word for you and what we have to share. Please pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts and minds be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Our passage comes on the tail end of some of Jesus' miracles. He has just fed the 5,000 and the 4,000. He's just walked on water and calmed the storm. He's been tested by the Sadducees and Pharisees and his disciples, and here on a journey. We come to Matthew 16, verses 13 through 20. Listen now for God's word to the church today. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do the people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, but others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he sternly ordered the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One of my least favorite phrases is the phrase, people are saying. As a college advisor once warned, people almost always means the person standing right in front of you. People are saying is a safe phrase most often used to share an opinion someone's afraid to say out loud or on their own. At the heart of our passage is not what people are saying about Jesus, but what Jesus' followers say about him. What claim are the disciples willing to stake when it goes against what people are saying? when it requires bravery to stand up and say what we believe because the claim is so dangerous? What is the source of truth in the face of deception and confusion? Where can we find courage to speak truth, sometimes alone, sometimes at great cost? Before Jesus posed this identity question to his disciples, Jesus fed a multitude. If you haven't seen it already, I encourage you to check out the Wardell family's inspired interpretation of this miracle in their Staycation Bible School video. Immediately after this miracle, Jesus is tested by some Sadducees and Pharisees, asking for a sign from heaven. 
The disciples misunderstood Jesus, presuming him to be talking about actual, literal bread, and Jesus responded to them, O you of little faith, why are you still talking about bread? Up to this point, Matthew has been riddled with themes of misunderstanding about Jesus' identity, his actions, and his signs. It's been one confusion after the next. In chapter 11, John the Baptist asks, Are you the one who is to come, or are we still to wait on another? The crowd in chapter 12 asks, This can't be the son of David, can it? His hometown folks in Nazareth ask in chapter 13, Is this not the carpenter's son? And Herod Antipas, in chapter 14, says this must be John the Baptist, risen from the dead. And then in Jen's passage from last week in Matthew 14, when the disciples see Jesus walking across the lake, they exclaim, it is a ghost. The gospel has been building up to this question from Jesus. Now we have known from Matthew chapter 1 that Jesus is the Messiah, but it's taken this long for the truth to come out of the mouth of a disciple. Before asking the dangerous question, who do you say that I am, Jesus asks his followers the safe question, who do others say that I am? Safe, because to answer it requires no conviction, no commitment, and no risk. All it requires to answer the safe question is a bit of curiosity and possibly some cynicism. Apparently there had been a lot of speculation Rumors swirling around, a lot of wondering among those who followed and listened to Jesus. Most of it well off the mark. It's pretty much the same today. People still wonder about Jesus. I still wonder about him. At least once a year, Jesus shows up on the cover of Time magazine or Newsweek because people still wonder about him. Who do people say that he is? Some say a great moral or political leader, like Gandhi or Martin Luther King Jr. Some say a great prophet, like Elijah or Muhammad. Still others say a spiritual teacher, to be numbered with the likes of the Buddha, Confucius, or the Dalai Lama. Some say he was a political revolutionary and enlist him in their own cause. Some say he was a capitalist and do the same. There are those who say he was clearly a socialist, and others who are just as sure that he's a liberal Democrat. Many Republicans eagerly claim him as one of their own. Still others say he was but a lofty idealist with his head in the clouds. N.T. Wright says, What you believe about Jesus affects your entire worldview. If you see Jesus differently, everything changes. Jesus' question, who do you say that I am, is an invitation to take personally and seriously the necessity to answer this question for ourselves. When I was a girl, I remember vividly the Sunday morning my mother told me to stand up straight, quit leaning on the pew in front of me, and to confess what I believed as though Jesus himself were standing at the front of the church. I was about 10 or 11 years old, and until that moment, I had said the Apostles' Creed with the gusto and conviction of someone ready to leave for a fancy lunch with her grandmother and wondering when the pastor was going to get on with the benediction already. But ever since that Sunday, I have wondered what I would say to Jesus himself 
if he were standing right in front of me at the front of the church and asked me, who do you say that I am? And also, I don't slouch when I say the Apostles' Creed anymore. I confess that Jesus is my Savior. But the honest truth is I don't always live my life like someone convinced he is Lord. I mean, if you looked at my life as a living testimony, could you tell that I believed it? I mean, you, Second Presbyterian Church, get the best version of me. I show up for work in my office or on your Zoom screen or in this pulpit, and I look like I have it together. But what you didn't see was the way I lost my cool with our two-year-old when she refused to wear sensible shoes to the zoo, or the tone I used when I spoke sharply in response to an ill-informed political comment from an extended family member, or the times I backed down when I knew I was supposed to be brave enough to speak up, or the moments when I've really questioned our future in a post-COVID world. If actions speak louder than words, and you and I know they do, then I have to admit that most of my actions don't confess that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Rather, they testify that he's a good man, a great man, an example to follow, someone to be inspired by, kind of like the prophets of old. I suspect that I'm not alone in sensing the disconnect between my public confession and my everyday actions. I'm willing to bet that most of you also sense a gap between the words you say on Sunday or whenever you watch worship online these days and the lives you lead the rest of the week. Not intentionally, and of course without malice. In fact, I suspect that most of us would like the words we say on Sunday not just to align with the rest of our lives, but to actually matter day in and day out. Eleanor asked me the other day if Jesus lived at church. Now this is a normal question for a two-year-old to ask. It actually made me a little sad. She hasn't been able to come to church for months for good reason. But I wondered, has she been looking for him all this time? and thought she couldn't find him because she couldn't get to church? I answered her that Jesus lives in our hearts, that he's not inside these walls or any walls. In fact, Jesus is with us everywhere, every day. But then I had to flashback, back to that zoo wardrobe fiasco. I sure wasn't showing her that Jesus was in my heart in that moment. No wonder she thought he must be someplace else. I want to show with my words and my actions who I believe Jesus to be. So I spent some time this weekend considering how I would answer Jesus' question, who do you say that I am? I say, Jesus is God with us. God loved us so much that God couldn't leave us the way we are, so God did the unthinkable thing for a deity. God became human and lived, and loved, and ate, and talked, and taught, and healed, and performed miracles, and was despised for it, and died. Also, God could show us how deep and how great God's love is. I say that Jesus rose from the grave and lives today. And because he lives, we have new life. 
Because he lives, we are called to live differently. Because he lives, he cares what happens to us and the ways we treat and take care of each other. I say that Jesus wept for us then, and he weeps for us now. Just like God's heart was broken open for us in the person of Jesus, so does that heart break open when one of us suffers from addiction and damages our body and our relationships. That heart breaks open when one of us is weighed down by depression and thinks seriously about ending our lives. That heart breaks open when the vulnerable in our society are made even more unsafe and isolated in the living of these days. That heart breaks open when teachers and children and parents and the under and unemployed are crippled with anxiety about how they're going to get through the months ahead. And then I think of Peter. Peter, the rock, the one whom Jesus would build his church. Church. Interestingly, this is the first and only time a gospel writer uses the word church. This one, the rock, the chip off the old block, the chip off the rock of ages, will fall short in just a few chapters. He's got it all right here, but not long before Peter's actions don't reflect his words. The shadow of the cross will prove too much for him, and when given the chance to bravely speak the truth, he will deny it. He will deny Jesus in his darkest hours. But when the resurrected Jesus meets Peter on the beach one morning, he doesn't stand like an angry parent waiting to scold a wayward child. No. He stands like that loving parent who is eager to welcome us home in grace, forgiveness, and love. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God, Peter said. Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood does not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. God was at work at Peter. Imperfect Peter. John Calvin, in discussing this passage, takes a phrase from Ephesians 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Calvin twists that verse a little bit, and he says, Faith is of grace, not of nature. We have been saved through faith, but we have faith through grace. The ability to speak the truth at all times is a gift from God and an act of God. Followers of Jesus can be swayed, corrupted, hoodwinked when we rely on our own will to believe, our desires, our reason, and our fears. But the truth is that which comes from God in Jesus Christ. My friends, who do you say that Jesus is? If you knew no one were looking over your shoulder, if it were you and Jesus standing face to face, how would you express your confession? How does your life reflect what you believe with your relationships, your bank account, your time, your social media presence, the ways you vote, your energy, and all the rest? Jesus' question to Peter is an invitation to answer this question for ourselves. It is an invitation to stand upright before Jesus our Lord and really live like he's watching. Because he is. 
not to judge us or trap us, but because Jesus loves us and he sees the side of us that can be brave and kind and faithful and true. But who do you say that I am? You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. May we live like we believe it to be true. Amen. Second Presbyterian, finding direction by following Jesus.